Before I read the song, let me um, ask you this question. How many of you struggle to remember things? Okay, most of you, yes. You know, we all struggle to remember things, some of us more than others, and the older we get, the more harder it is to remember. It's things like whether we, where we left our wallets or someone's birthday or the name of somebody we just met or why we got off our chair to go do something. <laughs> our minds sometimes fail, often fail, to remember events, information, and people. And uh, we can laugh a little, and you just did, when we think about our poor memories. But a bad memory can be very dangerous spiritually. A bad memory is dangerous when it forgets God, when it forgets what God has done for us. And when God's goodness fades from our minds, a spiritual decline sets in. Our spiritual health begins to, to get worse as we drift away from godliness, thankfulness, praise, and joy. And so we need again and again to train our minds to remember God, to remember all that he has done for us, and so that we can respond with worship, with gratitude, with joy. And Psalm 103 is a, is a psalm that helps tune our minds to, to the heavenly chords of, of God's greatness and glory. It calls us to praise him, calls us to, to worship him. This beautiful psalm calls us to remember God, remember his benefits, remember all that he has done for you so that you can praise him, so that you can worship him. And so no matter how you're doing today spiritually, this psalm has something for you. This psalm will be a blessing to your soul as it lifts you up into heavenly places to consider and contemplate the God that we have and, and all the good things he has done for you. Well, with that said, let me read from the psalm. And today I'm going to be preaching from the, the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. And the reason I'm doing that um, is because of it translates the divine name Yahweh there instead of using the capitalized Lord. And I think that's important. In fact, in this psalm, you'll notice it, that's the only name of God that's used. And you'll notice also the word loving kindness in that, this psalm. It's used four times as well. And the loving kindness, that word there is the, the famous word in Hebrew called hesed. It is uh, God's faithful, loyal, steadfast love for, and grace for his people. And the combination of those two give us a sense of the theme of the, the, the hesed of the Lord, his loving kindness, his, his patience, his faithfulness to us, his love for us. So that's why I'm choosing to read from this translation. Let me read it. It's a, a Psalm of David. It says, bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Yahweh performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always contend with us. 
He will not always keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our form. He remembers that we are but dust. And as for man, his days are like grass as the flower of the field, so he flowers. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless Yahweh, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless Yahweh, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless Yahweh, all you works of his, in all places of his rule. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. We're going to divide this psalm into three parts. And in verse 1 to 5, we're going to have, we're see, remember to praise Yahweh. Or, and then in verse 6 to 18, it is remember to praise Yahweh. And in verse 19 to 22, it's remember to praise Yahweh. So it's very simple. But before I get it, it's really one thing. And yet, you'll see it goes through different stages. In the, the first five verses there, it is personal. It's David talking to himself. And as David, then David in the next section moves to the people of Israel, to the redeemed, to God's people. And they are called also to remember to praise. And then the psalm moves in verses 19 to 22 to go beyond just David, not just God's people, but it extends to the whole world, the whole universe, to the angels and all creatures. And so the psalm really has one central idea of the of remembering to praise Yahweh, remember to praise his steadfast love, his, his hesed, and yet it's, it goes into, into like, a, like a ripple where it moves from David into the entire universe. And so well, let's first look at the first section there in verses 1 to 5, remember to praise Yahweh, and this is David addressing his soul says, bless Yahweh, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And so in this section, the author of our psalm, David, exhorts himself to do two things. He exhorts himself to, one, bless the Lord, and the next thing is to not forget his benefits. What does it mean to, to bless Yahweh, to bless God? Well, it doesn't mean uh, the same thing as God blessing us when God blesses us with his, uh, his special favor, his kindness, his gifts. In this sense, the, the word bless is the idea of praise, of worship, with the idea of even of thankfulness. And the, the purpose in this word, I think, is that God's reputation would be enhanced in the eyes of others as we praise him, as we worship him. Other people are going to hear that, and, and God will be given glory and praise. 
And so here in this psalm, and I think this is important as you understand this section, David is speaking to himself. He is speaking to his inner person, his soul, to bless Yahweh. And that's important too, because David, before he calls other people to praise Yahweh, he himself does it. He's no hypocrite. Before he calls other people to do something, he himself exhorts himself to do the same thing, and that is to praise the Lord, to remember his benefits. David wants, you'll notice there that David wants his entire being to praise his God. All that is within me or all that is me, my whole being, everything that is composes myself, I want all of it to be praising God. I want a wholehearted praise. I want not just a lukewarm praise. I don't just want a half-hearted kind of praise. I want everything within me, my, every fiber of my being to praise and bless Yahweh. All his heart, his all his mind, all his will, all his soul, all his strength is called upon to praise God. And so David will praise the holy name of God wholeheartedly. Notice how it mentions that I will bless his holy name. God's holy name refers to his character, which is set above, apart from above all others. His glorious, exalted person that alone is worthy of praise. David wants his whole being to be praising this God. And in verse 2, David again repeats this exhortation to his soul to bless Yahweh. But then you see also he urges his soul not to forget Yahweh's benefits. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Forgetting then is, is not to recall God's attributes, God, to God's works, God's deeds, so that there's no praise coming from us. The word forget also has the idea of not just not remembering something, but it has the added idea, or could have the added idea, of deliberately ignoring God or uh, of what he has done, so that disobedience is the result. Often Israel, simply by disobedience, forgot what God had done for them and therefore ended up in disobedience. And what does David not want to forget? He doesn't want to forget the benefits of God. And the benefits of God are God's gracious acts towards him. And in verses 3 to 5, David gives us examples of the benefits of God, which he will remember. As Spurgeon says, he selects a few of the choicest pearls from the casket of divine love, threads them on the string of memory, and hangs them about the neck of gratitude. And so we'll see those five benefits that God gives to David. The first and the best of all God's benefits is listed first. Notice what it says there, who pardons all your iniquities. The best gift that we can receive from God, the best benefit that we can receive is God's pardon, God's forgiveness for all the crimes that we've committed against him as sinners. And David tells his soul to remember, remember how God forgave him. Remember how God has completely forgiven all of his sins, all the sins in the past, all the sins in the present, all the sins in the future, all of that, complete, everything has been completely forgiven. Even the very worst ones have been forgiven. And certainly David had a lot of low moments in his life where he sinned grievously. And he re reminds himself, remember how God forgave me. All of those things. All of those sins. 
And then the second one there, who heals all your diseases. Some have misunderstood this to mean that God will heal all your diseases all the time, but that's not what the text says. Some also look at this more as referring to a spiritual healing of the disease of sin in the heart, and that's certainly possible, and it's certainly within the range of the the meaning of the words, but I think I, I prefer the simplest interpretation, and that is David is referring to how God forgives his physical diseases, his physical sicknesses. And remember, David is talking to himself here. He wants himself to remember all the times where where God has healed him in his life. David had gone through different sicknesses throughout his life, and God had healed him of those sicknesses. And of course, if David God hadn't healed all David's sicknesses, David wouldn't be writing this psalm because he would be dead. And so I think David is remembering all the times that God has healed him. And, and certainly all of us can, can think of that times where God has healed us as well. Has, we've been sick and God has given us health again. <clears throat> Notice the third one there, who redeems your life from the pit. And here speaking of deliverance, the pit here is the idea of Sheol or the grave. And the re- idea of redeeming is, the, is of, res- of rescuing, delivering, protecting and I think the idea here is that David is remembering all the times when God delivered him from a dangerous situation where death was right at his door. And David, you know, if you know the stories of David in, in the Old Testament, you know how often David was at death's door. There were oftentimes where he was very close to being killed, and yet God delivered him each and every time. And David here wants to look back on his He wants his soul to look back on all the times that God had delivered him from death and and praise God, praises God for that. And then the the fourth one there, who who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. The use of the verb crowns here is is the idea of of honoring and and exalting somebody. And the, the crown in this case isn't a crown of made of gold or jewels, but it's something far better. It is the glory of God's faithful love and compassion. God has exalted David. He's honored David by, by lavishing on him deeds of, of, and, uh, and, and blessings which flow from the love and compassion of God. David has received blessings fit for royalty. And lastly there, David remembers this, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The idea of satisfied there is being full, like, like when you eat Christmas dinner and you're full and stuffed and you can't eat anymore. Here the idea is God has, has satisfied David's soul so much, it's so full, it, it, it can't receive anymore. And you can think of all the good things that, that God has provided in our lives to satisfy us and given us the ability to enjoy those things as well as we, we see that uh, how God has pr- given us those things. We acknowledge that God is the giver of all good gifts. And so David remembers how God satisfies his years with good things. So that he, and then notice at the end there, the result there, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. And so David remembers the times where when he was at the end of his strength, when God satisfied him by giving him new strength and renewing his strength like the powerful eagle which rises up again. 
Really, these are the benefits that David exhorts his soul to remember and to praise God for. Forgiveness, healing, deliverance, um, honor, satisfaction. All of those things David will remember. David will think about those things, how God has done that in his life and remember that and praise God. Well, what about you? How often do you remember what God has done for you? You can look at these five areas as well and look at, look at your life. How has God done these things in your life? How has God shown forgiveness to you, healing, deliverance, God's faithful love? How has it been shown to you? You know, one of the things is it's remembering God's blessings isn't something that comes easy or natural to us. Actually, forgetting is our natural condition. And oftentimes we remember the things we shouldn't remember and we forget the things that we ought to remember. And so remembering takes work. Remembering, needs to, you need to train your mind to remember what God has done, to look back over your life and to identify those things that, that, that where God has given you uh, benefits, blessings. And so we need to make it a regular practice to scan our lives and to, to catalog all the goodness of God in our life, to, to make a mental list of all the ways in which he has uh, cared for us, where he's shown his loving kindness to us so that we can remember them, so we can thank him, so that we can praise him. Notice the next section there in, verses, uh, in verse 6 there. David here moves from calling his own soul to remember the blessings that God has given him to, to then considering the glory of God in his dealings with Israel or dealings with his, with his redeemed people. So you'll notice there in this section, there's, more, there's collective pronouns. There's we's and ours and us's, which David is now going beyond just myself. Now I'm, I'm remembering what, how God has dealt with his people including himself. And David remembers here God's glory, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's compassion, and God's love to his people. First remembers God's glory. And in verse 6 to 8, we see that. It says, Yahweh performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And I think that you, you notice here in this section, I think David is going back in time to remembering how God's glory was revealed to Israel in the Exodus and to Moses on Mount Sinai. In verse 6, it, he remembers how Yahweh performed righteous deeds, judgments for all who are oppressed. God, David remembers that God was a God of justice who vindicates those who are oppressed, who brings justice to those who, are, who crush others under their feet. And perhaps David is thinking here of the great, really the ultimate example in Israel's history of Israel being in bondage, Israel being in slavery, and how God delivered them out of that. In verse 7, it says, He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. So David prays, praises God here for revealing his ways and acts to Moses and Israel. Certainly that was done by, by God giving the law, where God revealed his laws, his rules, his ordinances. Through the tab tabernacle, the sacrifices, God taught Israel about sin, forgiveness, grace, 
justice and his holy character. But there could be something more here too, where I think maybe David is thinking in particular of a, a particular example where God revealed his ways to Israel and to Moses. See, after the golden calf incident, you remember that, where um, Israel start, Moses was on the mountain and Israel decided that they'd had enough of that. And they decided to worship, make an idol. They made a golden calf and they worshiped it. And after Moses came down and destroyed it, in Exodus 33, verse 13, it says this, Moses said, let me know your ways that I may know you. Well, later, further down in the, further in that narrative, Moses again asked God to show him his glory. And you remember what God said at that time that it's not possible for man to see him and live. But he did put Moses in the cleft of the rock and he put his hand on him and then passed by Moses and then removed his hand so that Moses could see a glimmer of the glory of God. And at that time, God said this to Moses, Exodus 34, 6, then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And this, 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 this little passage here became really much a creed for Israel. It became a short way of, of summarizing the, the great, the, the, the attributes of God. And there's many places in the Old Testament where the prophets uh, refer to this, this, uh, this statement here. And so in the psalm here, David goes back to that. Notice what it says. He, he, made his way, he made known his ways to Moses. I think he's referring to that incident there where God revealed himself to Moses and then also then to the sons of Israel. Verse 8, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And here's again that, that uh, pretty much a quote from Exodus 34, 6. Yahweh, by his very nature, is compassionate. He's gracious. He's patient. He's abounding in loving kindness, bounding in steadfast love. And this is the word hesed, which has that rich meaning of God's faithful, sovereign love for his people. And it's because God is this by his very nature that he acts in the ways described in the next, verse, in the next verses. Because God is this, he acts in this way in his, as he deals with his people. And we see that in the next section of God's grace there, verses 9 to 10, where it says, He will not always contend with us. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. The word contend there as the idea of accuse. It's a legal term where God will not execute justice on us. We deserve justice. We deserve what the law says. But here God says he will not always treat us as the law demands. He is a patient God. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. What would happen if God dealt with you according to your sins? Well, the, ultimately, we would have ended up in hell. We would have been punished forever. The wages of sin is death. And all we would know is torment and misery for our, our life here and for the life to come. And even the wicked, God doesn't treat according to their sins, does he? He is kind and gracious even to the wicked. 
But even as Christians who have been forgiven, who have been adopted, God doesn't deal with us according to justice. He deals with us according to his grace, his loving kindness. I mean, think about it as Christian. How often do you sin? You sin a lot. In fact, even the very best deeds that you've ever committed are stained with sin. There's, there's enough sin in our, in our good deeds to condemn us more than to, condemn, to commend us. There's enough sin in our good works to condemn us rather than to commend us. And often seems there's more bad than good in even the good works that we do. And yet God is slow to anger with us. He's patient with us, sin, our sins. He doesn't brood over our sins. He, he could punish us, but he, he shows us mercy. God doesn't constantly discipline us. God, God does discipline us, but yet it's very, it's, it's, it, the amount of times that he could discipline us um, is, is, very, is, uh, is great, and yet he doesn't discipline us very often. I mean, think about that. Think of how God would deal with you every time you sin, if he dealt with you according to justice. He sees you sinning. Oh, there he goes again. He sins. All right, well, bring some trouble in his life because look how he sins. And here you go over here. You sin again. You fall into sin again. And God zaps you because look at here. He sins again, right? Think about that. If God actually treated you the way you deserved each day, but God doesn't do that, does he? God does good to us. He gives us good things. He's gracious to us, even when we haven't been living well, even when we've been stumbling around in ignorance and sin. I think this is important. Too often Christians have a view of God that's, that's severe, that's harsh, that God is quick to judge, quick to discipline. He's out to get you. He's out to bring punishment and sorrow and suffering in your life. This verse reminds us that's not how God works. God is patient. God is gracious. God doesn't treat you the way you deserve. We often treat people like how they deserve or how we think they deserve. How often don't you treat your children or, or other people in your family or other people around you according to their performance? If they do good, if they're kind to you, if they're nice to you, well, then you'll treat them well. You'll talk nicely to them. But what if they do bad things to you? What if they're, they're sin against you? Well, then you show your displeasure by punishing them in various ways. You, you're harsh. You ignore them. You withhold kindness from them. them. That's, how, that's how we often treat other people when they don't live up to our expectations. And yet, when God, we don't live up to God's expectations, he doesn't treat us like that, does he? He is kind and patient. He treats us according to his love and grace and Christ. You know, I could think of an example from my own life. There was a, in one of our trips to Cuba, uh, we had gone to uh, a certain city and it was late and it was dark. And uh, I had never been in this city and it was dark and uh, we didn't know where to go. We, had, we knew nobody in the entire city and we were lost. And uh, I certainly didn't respond well. Uh, I was frustrated. I was unhappy. I, was, uh, I didn't stop and pray. I wasn't seeking God's help. I didn't trust him. And so at that moment, you know, if, if God treated us like we do, God would say, well, you know what? 
You're on your own, buddy. Like, go ahead, figure it out for yourself. Like, you're not looking to me for help. You're, you're just doing everything. You're getting angry and frustrated. But God didn't treat me like that. In God's kindness, he led us to two strangers who helped us find uh, accommodations and who uh, were able to be taken care of for the night until we figured out things in the morning. And when I look over my life, there's countless times. It's the story of my life where I fail, I fall apart, I sin, and yet God doesn't treat me harshly or cruelly. He's kind and patient. He picks me up. He's tender. He's patient and gracious. That's been my whole life. God, God, you could put this over my whole life that God hasn't treated me according to my sins. And I hope for you today too, you can see that. You can look over your whole life and see, wow, like if God treated me according to my sins, I, I certainly wouldn't be where I am. And if you can see where God has done that in your life and recognize those moments and times, you can praise him and be thankful for his grace. Well, David moves on there to God's forgiveness in verses 11 to 12. Notice what he says there. He has two, two comparisons. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And so David here has two comparisons to teach us about the greatness of the forgiveness and loving kindness of the Lord. So how far are the heavens above the earth? Well, if the heavens here refer to the area of the planets and the stars, well, we don't know. Scientists can only give guesses because we've never seen the end of it. But if this is referring to the highest heavens where, where God sits in his throne and all the angels around him, well, then that's, that's even farther, isn't it? And so nobody knows. No one's measured the universe and it never will be. And that's how great, how vast the loving kindness of God is towards us. When we think of God as harsh and, and, and stingy in his love, we dishonor him. God is so much greater than we think. His, his love towards his children is immense. There's no limit to it. And we need that. We need an infinite God in loving kindness because we have an infinite amount of guilt and punishment that's due to us. And only an infinite God who, who is infinite in his loving kindness could, could, ever, could be the one who would save us. We need that infinite faithful love of God. Notice the next comparison there where it talks about how far the east is from the west. Actually, the words there are more like sunrise and sunset. Well, east and west, how far are they apart? Well, east and west are directions. They're not actually locations. And so if you start in the east and you continue to go around and try to find the west, you continue to go around and around until you'll never find the west. And that's the whole point again of this comparison is that God's forgiveness is infinite. There's an infinite distance between the east and from the west. And that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. 
You know, what's interesting here as you look at this, uh, the word there that God, he uses for sins is the word transgressions. And transgressions uh, refer to the rebellious aspect of our sins. Sin isn't just a big oopsie or a mistake that I made. Sin is rebellion against God. It's an act of defiance against God's authority over our lives. And David, I think, uses his word to, of, of, for sin to highlight the vile nature of sin, to show how amazing it is that God absolutely, completely, infinitely forgives all the rebellion that we have committed in our lives. That guilt, that punishment that we deserve, it's gone forever. It's infinitely removed from us. God doesn't bring up our sins later. God doesn't punish us for the sins, for the sins in the, for, God won't punish us for sins ever in the future. God won't allow any sin in the past, present, or future to change our relationship with Him. He doesn't go, um, like we often do, where, you know, He remembers, oh, you know, back in uh, 98, that person, oh, I remember that person did that. Well, you know what? I won't be as kind to them today because they did that way back then. Or maybe I won't do these other nice things for them because you know what? Back in 95, they did this and this and this. Well, God doesn't do that. When God forgives, it's gone, it's forgotten, it's buried, it's completely removed from us. God doesn't keep any records of our sins. God doesn't bring it up against us later. You know, people can do that. People can keep, we can tend to keep a list of, of wrongs that people have done with us Sometimes it's actually a physical list. I've heard of that, where people wrote down all the sins that someone's committed against them just so that they could remember and bring it against them. But even if we don't do that, we often can keep a mental list, right? A mental list of all the things someone's done against us. And we can rehearse that over and over again, trying to keep alive the pain and bitterness, and hopefully we can stick it to them one day. But that's not God. God doesn't treat us like that. When God forgives, that record is gone and forgotten. That's remarkable, isn't it? Because we think of how holy, how just God is, and yet God forgives us in this way. How, how can God do that? How can God forgive us infinitely like this and remove our sins completely from us? Well, David doesn't really explain that, does he? He anticipated that God would do something about that. He believed that God was going to do that. But we know from, as New Testament Christians, how God did that right. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, came to this world. He became a man. He took upon himself a human nature. He lived among his people. And then he went to the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus Christ was punished for all for the, the, our sins, he received on us, received from the Father, the, our guilt, our punishment. And there God poured out his wrath on him. All the wrath that we deserve was poured out. An infinite wrath was poured out on the Son of God. And he bore that, that wrath and, and sucked it all in and took it all in himself. And he suffered our judgment in our place. And then he cried, it is finished. And that is how God can remove our sins, our transgression, as far as the east is from the west. And notice how this forgiveness is for those who fear God. 
In the psalm, it is often said that God's benefits are for those who fear him. That's a phrase that's repeated frequently. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, to fear God is to, to understand the great, his greatness, his holiness, so that we are humbled. And in fear, we run to him, repenting of our sins and walking in obedience to him. And that is what you must do today if you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness and mercy. You must come humbly to God. You must plead for forgiveness. You must repent of your sins and trust in the finished work of Christ. If, if you are here today and you've never had your sins forgiven as far as the east is from the west, I urge you today, come to Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. How could you refuse such a great and loving God? Why would you reject one who is so full of kindness and love to sinners, who cares for us, who, who deeply loves all of his creatures? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to receive forgiveness because he can and will and has promised that all your sins will be removed and you will be righteous before him. Well, David moves on in his psalm here from forgiveness to compassion. You can see that verses 13 to 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our form. He remembers that we are but dust. Well, this is such a great, a great little passage, isn't it? Here we have another comparison statement. As a father has compassion on his children. Well, a good, kind father loves his children, doesn't he? He knows that they're weak. He knows they're of limited ability. He, he knows his children don't understand everything. He is patient with those limitations. He, he speaks to them according to their little abilities. He doesn't ask them to do things that are beyond their abilities. He's kind. He's patient. He understands their, their, their weaknesses. A good father is full of tender, kind love for his children. And the text is saying that's how God, that's what God is like towards those who fear him. And in verse 14, it clarifies why God treats us with that kind of compassion. It explains our weakness. And it says, therefore, he himself knows our form. He remembers that we are but dust. The word dust here is the same word used in Genesis when it talks about God creating man out of the dust. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, Then Yahweh God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the man became a living being. And so God remembers that we are made of dust. We are not like the angels made of spirit. We are not spirit beings like the angels. We are flesh and blood. We are weak creatures. We're, there's limitations to us that we have because we are made from the dust. God knows that. God is gracious and gentle towards our weaknesses. He knows we are of limited strength. He knows we, we, we have limited knowledge. We have limited abilities. He's sensitive to those limitations. He's sensitive to the limitations that we have of living in these mortal bodies. He knows how hard it is for us to concentrate, how hard it is for us to to stay awake at times. He understands how we, we, can, um, we just don't understand certain things. God knows that. He understands us. 
and he's compassionate and gracious, and he treats us according to that. And he knows each, was, each one of us is different. Some of us have different gifts and abilities. We're stronger in some areas, weaker in other areas, and God treats us according to those weaknesses and strengths. God is kind and patient to us. Well, then this idea of weakness continues in the next section where we see the love of God. And this time, as we go to this, this, this section, the emphasis is on man's fleeting life and God's love for those who fear him. Notice what it says there. This is another comparison. As for man, and the, man, the word man here is a, is a word that has the idea of weakness and mortality and, and even sickness. And so the idea here is, as for man, this, this weak, sinful little creature, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flowers. So man's life here is compared to grass and flowers, a common comparison in Scripture. Grass and flowers are really only here for a short time, right? Uh, Especially in Alberta, we have a rather short growing season, and and it doesn't take much for the frost to come in and, and kill everything. But even think about like a little flower. Anything can seem to... Even a strong gust of wind can blow its petals away and it can be gone, disappear. And so either the heat, in the heat or the frost can, can soon kill flowers and, and the grass and, and they wither away and they're gone. Verse 16, when the wind has passed over it, it is no more and its place acknowledges it no longer. You know, flowers are, are beautiful, but they're weak and fragile and they have a short and precarious life. Soon the flowers are gone, soon the grass is gone, and and no one remembers that they were there. They're gone, they're forgotten, and nobody looks back and goes, you know what, I remember there was a flower there back 10 years ago. Nobody remembers that. And that's true of each one of us as well. We are like the flowers. We are like that grass. We live here for only a brief time. And there are so many ways our our lives can be cut short. We're very susceptible to death, to sickness. And our lives seem to fly by like the wind. And then we die and we fade away. And who remembers us when we're gone? People may remember us for a while, maybe a generation. But after that, who is going to remember you? Nobody will remember you even existed here. Nobody will remember all the stuff you did. Everyone will, at one day, all of us in this room will be six feet under the earth, we'll be back to dust. Nobody will remember what we did. Nobody will remember anything about our lives. We'll be gone, forgotten, and this world will continue on. We were made from dust, and to dust we return. And if I left you there with that, you would feel rather depressed. <laughs> and it's rather unsettling to think about that. We think of ourselves as these great beings that... We're we're filled with our self-importance, and yet this truth humbles you. It puts you down to, like, it puts you in your place, doesn't it? And yet there's hope. And this is the great thing about this text. There's hope, and it's in the steadfast love of God. Notice what it says there. And here's what it, in verse... um, Oh, 17. 
Notice the but there. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Thanks, thank God for the buts in the Bible. Because there's a but here. But the loving kindness of Yahweh. It's like, this is man, and yet here is the loving kindness of Yahweh. But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Notice that this promise is for those who fear God. It's those who keep his covenant, those who remember and obey the precepts of the Lord, those who are faithful, obedient, humble, and repentant. They have this promise. And if that describes you, you have this promise today too. And the promise is this, is that God has and will forever love you and be faithful to you. God has loved us ever since he existed, which is forever. It's, it's everlasting in, in eternity past. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. God has loved us in eternity past. Before we existed, he had set his love on us in Jesus Christ. And his love then is expressed in, in, in the application of redemption to our lives when he regenerates us and causes us to respond in faith and repentance to the gospel. And God's love continues. That faithful love continues as we go through life, as, as we go up and down and through in sin and, and as we progress in righteousness. And God's love will continue into the future when he, will, when he will bring us to himself when we die. And then one day when he will glorify ourselves. glorify ourselves. And then forever we will enjoy the loving kindness of God our Savior. And so from eternity past all the way to eternity future, God's loving kindness is on us. And even though here on this earth we will be gone and forgotten, God doesn't forget us. God's love holds on to us and carries us out of this world into eternity with him forever and where he remembers us. He, God will not forget us. This world will, but our hope isn't in this world. It's not in whether people care about us or remember what we do. Our hope is that we know this God who loves us in Christ. And isn't that amazing that God would lavish this kind of love on those who are but dust and ashes? John 1 verse 3 says, See how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God. And we are. And that is our hope in this world that's very temporary, in our lives that are very temporary. It's the love of God towards us, his faithfulness, his righteousness. Well, this whole passage is wonderful to think about, isn't it? And I've gone very quickly through it. We could just sit in this passage and marinate in it and dwell in it forever. It's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's awesome to, to dwell on how God loves us, his forgiveness, his compassion, his grace, his, all of that. But there's something also we need to remember about this, is that as we remember God's love, his forgiveness, his grace, that's also to be the pattern of how we treat other people in our lives. Ephesians 4, 32 says this, instead, be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has graciously forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children who walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. And so we are to be imitators of God. We've seen God's glory, his character in here. Is this how you're treating other people? Are you a compassionate person, patient, forgiving? Do you show grace to other people? Maybe as you think about it, you realize you failed in, in many ways to do this. But what's the solution? Well, it's to spend a whole lot of time thinking about how God has treated us. When we understand this passage, when this, this, these passages, when this truth about God sinks deep into our souls, and we know it, we believe it, we see it in our lives, that changes us. That changes then, that should change us in how we treat other people. So when we, see how, when we see how we fail to treat other people well, what we really need is to go back to the character of God, to go back and, and think of these passages and think of how God has treated us. Remember that. Praise him for that. And then go and do the same to other people. Well, lastly, we're going to see how this remember to praise goes on into, it expands to all creatures. Notice verses, uh, n- verse 19 there. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I want you to see the, the last part. His kingdom rules over all. And then go down to verse 22. It, it talks about in all places of his rule. It's sort of an inclusio in this section. It brings together one idea of God's universal kingdom, that God rules over all. He is a universal king. God rules above all earthly powers. His throne is in the heavens. And from there, he rules over all creatures. And it's because of this truth, it's because God is a universal king, that there must be universal praise by all of his creatures. All the creatures in his kingdom are obligated, and in here are called to worship and praise him. They owe him that. And this is And so you see here, David then calls upon all of creation to give that praise back to God. And the first thing that David does is he calls upon the angels to join him in blessing and praising God. And here's David, this little clay pot, this man who is flesh and blood, this temporary man. He is now calling upon these majestic beings to lift up their voices with David in praising him. And for the sake of time, I won't go through how he describes angels, but you can see that he has numerous ways to describe these angels. And it's a, these are great, innumerable, powerful, holy beings, and they're called also to bless Yahweh also. And then in verse 22, David calls on all the creatures that God has made in all the places where they dwell to praise Yahweh. Notice what it says there, bless Yahweh, all you works of his, in all places of his rule. So it's not just David that needs to be praising God. It's not just Israel that needs to be praising God. It's not just God's redeemed people that should be praising God. It's not even just the angels, the myriads and myriads of angels, but all people should be praising God. All tribes, all wherever they live, from, from China to Africa to South America to, to Russia to Europe, 
all places need to be asked, called upon to join in this choir and praising God. Even the animals, all the creatures, everything is called upon to, to join this mighty choir of praise and, and lift up their voices to bless Yahweh. And even if all creatures that exist, and even if the inanimate things should lift up their voices to praise Yahweh, that would be insufficient praise for him because Yahweh is, is infinite in his greatest. He is, he is infinite in his glory. And so David wants all things to lift up their voices and praise God. But well, we don't see that now, do we? But one day we'll see that. And one day we're going to sing with such a glorious choir. Uh, Revelation 5 verse 11 says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and th thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be ble the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the living, four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. This is really almost the fulfillment of what David is calling for here. One day, all creatures will listen to, what, to this psalm and lift up their voices to praise God. And then David ends the psalm by where he began where he just says, bless Yahweh, O my soul. But the psalm shouldn't just end with David's exhortation to himself to bless the Lord. Really, it's an invitation for all of us to bless the Lord. Will you also bless Yahweh? Will you also remember what he has done and praise him? Will you join with David in his praise and worship? Will you remember the, the infinite benefits that God has given you in Christ Jesus so that you may bless him and praise him? He is worthy, is he not? Well, let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm. Thank you that we could just spend so much time thinking about your greatness, your glory, your love for us. Pray that you would bless this for our lives, Lord. May you, you help us to lift up our voices and sing your praises even now, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.